Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, brought to you by Bet Online. In a second, I'm going to bring on Duan. Duan and I are recording a special project that you may have heard me mention a couple of times, uh, the Rocky Podcast, and Duan will come on. We'll talk about that uh, as uh, we're going to get that first episode up probably in about a week, week, maybe 10 days, something like that. Um, and also bringing on Dune because we break down the first half of the first round of the New Japan Cup and we talk about what we kind of expect or hope to see with the rest of the first round and into the rest of the tournament that should be going on either very soon after you hear this or by the time if this is Monday morning when you're hearing this, uh, it'll already be done. So the 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 next the next uh, four matches, and then four more matches on Tuesday evening. I'm sorry, Tuesday morning. So in into into high gear with that tournament. It's been a lot of fun so far, and uh, the cup challenge that we did on the website. Lots of new members in the Facebook group. Really appreciate all of you who have joined and jumped into the bracket challenge. And then after that, going to bring on John LaRocca. We will begin our We Want Flair Sting, Ric Flair, 1990 Great American Bash. We're going to talk about the end, uh, some of, you know, some of uh, Sting's earlier days, but mostly talk about 1989 and Sting becoming a horseman for a very short time and that angle uh, as it plays out. And uh, so this will be part one of that two-parter only for this one. The story is not as deep and uh, we've told some of it already with some of the other We Want flares. So... It'll be fun though. It'll it'll be a little bit more of a sprint, but uh, this is a this is a fun time for me as a wrestling fan. Um, 1990 WCW, you know, really just looking at uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair and is he going to still be the man? Do they need to change? Because you know, '89 NWA was tremendous from an in ring standpoint. And what was the whole story was like, what's what's the future of this? Like, you know, we know what the NWA can do, uh, but they seem to have hit their ceiling. And how do they get beyond that? Some thought it was Sting. Some thought it, it may be Luger, younger champion. But Flair was still the man. So interesting time for them. And uh, if you've listened to the We Want Flair series that we've done, uh, some of the previous episodes of, of this year where we talked about Flair leaving WCW in 91 to head to WWF. Like there's the beginnings of, of the end with some of this stuff uh, with, with Rick, with, with this sting story. So very interesting next two episodes or next two weeks, we'll have uh, the full thing. And then 
we will get into the uh, WCW 1992 Saturday night shows that we're going to start reviewing for the second half of this year. The last thing before we get to the show, before you bring on doing, you know, I think if you're a wrestling fan, if you're listening to this show, you know what's going on with the speaking out movement. John and I talked a little bit about it on our uh, Thursday night, Friday after or Friday morning show. But there still was, you know, there was some information, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't like it is today for sure. As I record this, the uh, the movement is it's it, I even hate to call it a movement because it's like not, you know, it's sort of like the uh, movement around police brutality toward African-Americans. It's like, well, why do we even, ha- why does this have to be something that we get behind? Why can't it just be normal life? And similarly with the speaking out movement, why can't male professional wrestlers, and this is not all male professional wrestlers, obviously, there's just the ones who, um, who are being accused and who are probably... Uh, maybe more more guilty than innocent at this point. Why why can't they just be cool dudes and treat people like, you know, normally? And and so it's hard. I, this, I, I, that's why, you know, it's hard for me to call it a movement, though that's exactly what it is because there's a there's an inequality going on. There's an abuse going on in the wrestling industry and, you know, uh, we're shining a light on it. The the women who have come out in in such courage you know, it has to be one of the. It has to be so hard to to deal with the situation that they're dealing with, and then to come out in public with all the naysayers on Twitter. I mean, everybody has seen Twitter. If you've written anything, or if you've put a podcast up, and you know, you you've heard some critics about how um, you know X, Y, and Z. It wasn't good enough for you. Should have done this. Should have done that. And imagine putting your life out there like that. Imagine the shaming that that can go on because of that. So the women who are doing this, uh, I really commend them. And, and, you know, it's so courageous because it is it is a smaller part of a bigger thing that they're trying to trying to get out. And I did a show with uh, Dave Meltzer and Mo Chatra uh, uh, for the Wrestling Observer radio show. And that was probably the hardest show that I've ever had to do from a podcast standpoint it was just a, a deep and heavy topic. And you, I mean, look, there's it's three dudes without the perspective of what is happening to the to these women. And we tried our best to not make it about us solving the problem, you know, because we, we can't, you know, the, the, you can't. But what you can do is you can look at why the problem exists. You can look at the systemic part of this. And you can ask the questions, why is it like this? What caused it to be like this? I asked Dave questions about, you know, why, why, is, the, why is the lingo about the boys and the girls? Why, why do we call grown men boys? And why do we call grown women girls? You know, what's the reason? What is the background? What is the history around the terminology? Some of it may be completely innocuous and 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 just kind of you know friendly lingo, but some of it may be uh, you know it may, it may be darker, it may be deeper than that, and the stigma could could be changed. So the uh, the thing that's going to be hard, I think, for a lot of people is all of these stories 
where we are sort of really sympathizing with on Twitter, not 100% of them are going to be uh, listened to or even proven to be true. There are definitely going to be some of these stories that are going to be proven false, or at least from a from a law standpoint, maybe not provable. And that's going to be frustrating. It's going to be frustrating if you see someone take advantage of, of a male wrestler in this time because they were frustrated or upset at something. And, that, and that's going to be hard to swallow. But that should not take anything away from the reason why the women are coming out with these stories. The Like, you know, there, there may be things that, that don't line up in the end, but, you know, we've had that before. You know, there have been situations with, uh, you know, with Michael Elgin in, in the past that, you know, maybe weren't exactly uh, as the person who uh, reported them or accused uh, said so. And, and so, you know, but that shouldn't take away from what anybody is saying today. You know, you're seeing lots of, lots of name wrestlers involved. The one that is uh, probably the and and look no one is no one is saying that you know any of this is like surprising for behavior these are you know predatory behaviors but something you know that i've seen along the lines of what joey ryan is being accused of like just really scary stuff this is like bill cosby harvey weinstein stuff and wrestling, you know, wrestling is a niche business, and so you know when you have the hardcore, the hardcores, and these indie, uh, these independent companies are sort of like the old territorial system from back in the day. Like it, 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 you know, it enables a lot of the, a lot of this stuff, and it's just, uh, it's just kind of really, really frustrating to see. So uh, the other thing I wanted to say before we move on is where do AEW and WWE play into this what should they do there are probably going to be more things coming out about people that they've hired and how do they take a stand on this topic how do they reach out to the women wrestlers how do they support the women wrestlers how do they stand out as leaders in this situation to say we hear you. We are going to deep dive into folks and make sure that these things are not in our company. I, I do believe that needs to happen. Um, Jimmy Havoc is, is is sort of on leave to 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 deal with what he's dealing with, and um, you know, there's there's you, you know, you could just search on Twitter, Patrick Clark, and you know, the Matt Rule thing, which you know. It sounds like WWE's known for a couple of years, and they believe his side of the story. The investigation that they did uh, believes his side of the story as well. So we'll see what happens there. But I do believe that WWE and AEW need to really take a stand. They really need to say, "Look, we we will not, we will absolutely not let this kind of stuff happen." They need to put that on their websites. They need to put that in social media. They need to. Uh, put that in the beginning of their shows this week because not doing so is becoming it's it's just too tone deaf to the situation this is not a time to pretend there is this secondary WWE universe where a coronavirus and where racism does not exist 
this it, it, we're beyond that at this point and WWE can't can't pretend that you know that that they live on Sesame Street and that only you know n- no bad things happen so I would love to see both companies really take a stand here and put their foot down about, you know, about the past and about what they want from the future. There's got to be so many skeletons in the closets of people in power in WWE. And I'm not saying that if something happened 40 years ago that that person should be, um, you know, put on trial today, you know, for, for that, uh, we don't, I, you know, it's, it. I don't know what those, a lot of those stories are, but this pro wrestling doesn't need to be a place where, you know, men get to rule the world and, you know, look at the people of power there, you know, thankfully Brandy is, is someone who is in a leadership position, but she shouldn't be the only one there should be, uh, you know, there should be more people who, look like the wrestlers who are deciding and, and calling some of the shots and, and making some of these decisions. Um, our, our, uh, our friend Chris Aiken wrote a piece about Paul Heyman leaving and he kind of made it about that, but he also made it about, you know, the product really needs to be about what the wrestlers are going through what they look like, who they are, and when you have mostly Caucasian men writing the storylines for these uh, for these wrestlers who are who are all kinds of different shapes and sizes and races and, and ethnicities, it, it can it can be um, a little limiting for for them. So you know there, there's changes that that need to be made here, and 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 I think uh, you know. When you have something negative like this, you know, it should never go away. The speaking out movement should not just be a hashtag for a week and then and then go away. Hopefully there are some changes and, and that people continue to, to come out and speak their truth. And and we can, um, you know, we can look, we can we can hopefully have a, a better company holding these all of these wrestling companies um, up to make sure that that they are doing right by by their employees and by these women and by their fans so all right so before we go i just want to take a quick break so we can talk about our friends at bet online so there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.eg sports are slowly and in some cases slowly making their way back and bet online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all ufc nascar boxing and soccer matches if you need even more they've simulated nfl nba and ufc simulations all day every day live on their website looking for something else other than sports bet online has hundreds of casino games poker tournaments and prop bets to check out Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Dylan, bringing, I wanted to bring you on, obviously, to talk about the New Japan Cup uh, so far, the first two nights. But I think uh, we are almost close to releasing the first episode of the Rocky podcast that we have been doing. 
I, I've mentioned it a couple different times on the podcast, but haven't given any real information. But uh, I think not this week, but next week, I will edit and release uh, the first one uh, on the original Rocky movie. So before we get into the New Japan Cup, I kind of just wanted to to get your sort of your uh, opinion on on how these things are coming out, and we're doing like really deep dives into into the movies that, uh, that you and I are both like really really diehard fans of. But uh, like, how has it been so far from your perspective of of doing these shows? Yeah, it's not it's not like something I've really ever done before. You know, um, I know you've done a bit more stuff on this side of things and some of your other projects, but I've never really like I've mainly most of what I do is focused on sports. So you know, d- doing something like this on a movie was a little bit different. You know, and what we've we're done, we're taking the eight Rocky films, the the six originals, and then the two two Creeds. And you know, it's taken us from nineteen seventy six up to pretty much today. And you know, we're looking at how these films have kind of changed and adjusted over time. And you know, what's kind of been their in, enduring legacy. And really, this is uh, something that I have been thinking about doing over the last couple of years. Our buddy Danny, aka Big D. I originally started talking to him about it and, and, you know, he and I were, were kind of going back and forth, but I also knew that, um, the way that I wanted to do it was going to take a little bit longer for me to research and investigate and kind of write a script for. And at that time, a couple years ago, you know, this podcast was, was actually, uh, being started up and, and John and I were kind of you know, really making making a go of it. And it, it takes a lot of time to, to do. And so I, I kind of scrapped that idea with Danny and he was really frustrated. No, I mean, not frustrated. He, he was bummed. He, he, he definitely wanted to do it. And then when I started thinking about, obviously this this can happen because we are quarantined in our in our homes all day long. And, you know, then, then I can start, uh, then I just start brainstorming and everything and I want to do everything. But I started thinking about the Fabulous Four podcast that we did several years ago. And I was like, man, you know, that was a lot of fun working with Duan because he likes to research and investigate just like I do. Like we we become experts of the topic. And I was like, what what can I do with Duan if he has the time? That would be so, something similar to, to the Fabulous Four. And then that Rocky idea came back to me, and I know you're you're a, a big fan too. So that's kind of how this came about. And you know, without the pandemic and everything going on, we we probably don't have the time to to do it. But this is kind of like you know, you you try and make the best of everything. But from your perspective, um, how was this sort of similar and also different from the experience of us doing the Fabulous Four? Yeah, well, I think the big one was with the Fabulous Four, you know, when we didn't have this kind of uh, situation where we're, 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 we're locked in at home, you know, it did take us a really long time to get through those episodes. You know, this one, you're not going to have to wait around for, you know, a month or two months between each episode. We, we're going to have these, you know, eight consecutive weeks and then we'll wrap it up for the fi- uh, final episode. So I guess that's the big difference. For me. Um, in, 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 and in, in, in terms of the actual show itself, um, I suppose it's just like there's probably le- a lot less information out there to go on for something like Rocky. You know, it, it really depends on the film. But we, were, we have been able to dig up 
little little bits of uh, I- 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 interesting facts in the surrounding e- each of the productions that I think, you know, some people will know, but I think there'll be something in there for everybody that they won't have heard be- probably before. Yeah. The other thing that I think is interesting, and it would have been similar with uh, me, me and uh, Dee doing this, though I think Dee is a few years older than you, which is the fact that there is a bit of time in our ages, a bit of age difference. And so some of the movies that I saw as a child and that, you know, a lot, a lot of times what you see as a child is sort of becomes your favorite thing because of how impressionable we are as children. But like the impressionable Rocky for me is going to be uh, different from you because of just our age differences. So the perspectives that we both have uh, just from when these movies came out and how they shaped our childhood and all that stuff uh, is is interesting. I think that people will like sort of the the way that, that we also look at these from that perspective. Yeah, and just e- even from the perspective of going to see like the films in the theater, you know, that was something I was interested in your perspective of because like, you know, the very first Rocky movie I actually got to see in the theater was until Rocky Balboa, you know. I'd grown up watching these and, you know, uh, like by the time I was old enough to, you know, go, go go to the theater to see one of these films, there was like a long, it was during that long hiatus between, you know, Rocky V and Rocky, Rocky Balboa. So that, like that was my first actual theater experience. Whereas, you know, you you had been going back to, you know, Rocky three, Rocky four for years. Yeah, that and that is, you know, that is something. And But, I you know, when, when you got to see Rocky Balboa, I... Like it, it was it's, it's, to some extent for me, it was like everything I always wanted was to just come back to this character. And so I think we probably felt similarly going to that theater to see the experience, because even though I did get to see, you know, Rocky three and Rocky four in theaters, it's still there was still so much that I had missed, and it was uh, it was like this like dream come true to see the character. And then you know we got we got super lucky with Creed and Creed Two to be able to re- revisit these characters. And look, if these movies were terrible, and really I would say the only one that I would define as terrible is Rocky Five, then it wouldn't it wouldn't be as meaningful. But because for the most part. The films, you know, I, th- I would say Rocky One and Creed One are probably the best actual films of the series. But then, you know, at some point you're playing fan service and Stallone is just giving the fans what they loved about the character. And we'll we'll talk about all of all, all of that during during the shows. Uh, before we move on to talk a little bit about the New Japan Cup, uh, the, I guess the last thing I just kind of wanted to lay out how this was going to to look. Uh, basically, we we have a singular podcast for every film. Um, we are about halfway done with with the recordings, so you know by the time the first episode goes out, we'll be we'll be done with five out of the eight. So there 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 as long as we sort of stay on a weekly or even a weekly or bi weekly or bi monthly cadence, we'll we'll have them out. But we want to do the eight films, and we'll do like sort of like an epilogue after just kind of condense all of our thoughts together and just overall thoughts of the experience and about the movies, all eight. Um, but I think the, the interesting thing for me, as far as like the, the ones that we have left to do is going to be the seeing sort of the character's age, the, you know, Rocky and Pauly mostly from, 
five to Balboa and then to Creed because in Balboa and in the Creed films, Rocky is essentially an old man, right? Like he's no longer the uh, same Rocky from Rocky three and Rocky four, who is, he, you know, he's in his mid thirties, but he's not 55 and he's not, you know, in, in Creed, he's in his sixties. So that character aging, I like, I've never seen Rocky Balboa and the Creed films in sequence after watching the earlier Rockies. So I have yet to, and I wonder if I'm going to get a little bit different uh, from that experience, but you know, that that's what I'm most interested in for the rest of these is just seeing that those characters age uh, very quickly. And, and if it affects how I, how I see those, those last few films. Yeah. And I think a big part of what made that, that this last run so exciting is that, you know, we did have the disappointment with Rocky five. And I think for most of us, there was a nervousness about them coming back to the characters in the way there is whenever you go back to something that's uh, really loved. It's, I guess I, I draw a comparison to like when you're, if your favorite band is taking a lot of time off between albums and, mm-hmm. you know, they put something back out and you're kind of like, I hope this doesn't suck. <laughs> um, and, and then it, it, when it's good, it's all that more rewarding. And I think that's kind of the way, the, the way, way we felt, like, you know, against the odds, you know, Rocky, Rocky came back and fin- finished on the right note. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, so we'll, I will start doing some of the social media push. Uh, I have yet to fully edit the first episode. So when I do that, um, I think I'll have a, a better idea on how to kind of push this out, but it'll, it'll be right in this feed, the fight game podcast feed. You will, we'll release them midweek, uh, on a consistent schedule. So, you know, usually what happens on this show is we'll release a show on Monday, which is this one that you're listening to Sunday night, Monday morning. And then John and I get together on Thursday night for a Thursday night, Friday morning show. And we'll probably release the Rocky podcast just sort of in the middle of that. So there'll be, there'll be generally three shows uh, a week for, uh, for several weeks. And, and that'll be, that'll be fun because, you know, if there's one thing in, in this quarantine that, that, that I've sort of pushed myself to do, it is um, just to stay active and to stay consistent. And because of this time, you know, I've never been in my house more <laughs> than, uh, than, than now. And so just finding people to, to talk with has been great. And, you know, it, it's, it's such a different world in that, you know, just, you know, 20 years ago, if you and I wanted to do something together, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to do it like this. And our communication, you know, would probably mostly be in like a a chat message or something. So just taking advantage of the technology to be able to do project like this has been fun. And, you know, I learn more about podcasting as I do shows and about editing. And this is going to be one that I haven't quite edited in this way before, you know, because we're going to be taking what we say and, and, and there's going to be dialogue from the movie and there's going to be songs. We have a specific new song created as the intro to these Rocky podcasts from uh, our buddy, Justin Nipper, who's, you know, I think he like literally has like a music degree and he was interested in helping us out. So it's going to be fun and I can't wait for people to listen, but, um, Let's move on because uh, the other reason I, I wanted you to be on is because uh, the New Japan Cup, uh, New Japan is back. They are in an empty arena. It is back. And, you know, 
I wasn't sure that the like this new Japan Cup would would happen at all. You know, I thought maybe we'd, we'd missed its its slot for this this year. But I'm, I am really glad that it is because it's one of those ones that always kind of it's almost like a re- restart for New Japan every year. You know, it, it gives them a chance to set up some new rivalries, and you know, it's also pretty unpredictable in that like. You know, some years they'll they'll go with somebody who's like WWE would do with the King of the Ring. Is who's the next guy to push? But sometimes it's used as a way to reestablish somebody, you know, and give them an, another bit big run. And I think you know that kind of unpredictability has been shown already. You know, I I feel like if we had done this show a week ago, uh, my view of how it's gonna how the tournament's gonna pan out would be completely different than it <laughs> is this week. And that's not even just because the results; it's more just. Uh, the way New Japan teases out its storyline so well. You know, I just feel like there's different directions than, you know, what we probably initially anticipated. Um, you know, and we're, we're eight matches in. We've done one half, or the first round matches of one half of the bracket. Out of those, you know, three of them have been absolutely excellent. Uh, three of them have been very good, and there's two that weren't good, but I think don't think anyone in the right mind thought those two would be any good. So, you know, it's been a really positive and really what I've taken from this is that like the idea that you can have good matches in the empty arena or without the crowd it doesn't work yeah. you yeah. know I, I think that this puts the sword to that because it's, it's been really really good so, uh, it's just a different it's just a different way you had to do shows and some people haven't been able to re- uh, adapt to it and others have New Japan have handled it you know very well I, I saw that as well with All Japan All Japan is, during the quarantine period has been I think you know probably the strongest in, in, in ring product and you know New Japan has is, is followed suit so You've seen some of the empty arena wrestling from the American promotions such as WWE. And and I would consider the what the NXT shows are in this empty arena situation to be different from what the main roster is generally doing. Because NXT, just by the way that it's set up, it is more of a hardcore wrestling show than Raw and SmackDown. You've also seen the AEW shows Comparing that to what you've seen in the first two days of New Japan, my guess is that you're happier with the New Japan product in in this empty arena time. But how how would you kind of rank them? I don't, I don't know how much WWE you're actually watching, but would you would you how would you rank what you've seen in this empty arena so far? Yeah, um, I would put the WWE product and NXT together kind of dead last. I just haven't liked how they've adjusted to the empty arena. I think, you know, WWE is very based around on kind of a 50-50 style of matches, which, and, you know, a lot of kickouts, a lot of, you know, both guys shining. Um, I don't think, that, like, trying to make drama out of false finishes, that type of thing, I don't think it really works. in this Yeah, environment. I agree. I and agree. What I have thought has worked, um, like, you know, well, particularly when I was watching All Japan, was hard-hitting matches, shorter matches, shorter shows, and um, very clean, decisive winners, you know, where somebody goes over strong. Uh, like, we've seen it in All Japan with the, the new guys they've, they, they've brought in, the Wrestle One guys, uh, uh, Yusuke Kadama and Shatiro Ishino. They've, like, elevated them during this empty arena uh, um a period they've made two main eventers out of two new guys which you know i like i think wwe's really struggled and AEW has really struggled to introduce new characters and make them strong um so that that was one of the things that i i thought all japan had done well and you know it, all those things i just mentioned you know the hard-hitting style um 
the clear decisive winners. Those are things New Japan usually does very well anyway. And that's why I thought they would react well to this. And they have. So I agree with you 100% about what you just mentioned concerning the hard-hitting style, the false finishes, which seem so out of touch when you have no fans. And anything that a heel would do normally to incite a live crowd, doing it right now seems tone deaf as well. I think, and I'll, I'll call out a match. I don't even imagine that you watch this match, but at the Backlash pay-per-view. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop you right there. Asuka and Nia Jax had a match, which on paper, you're like, uh, you know, I'm not, not that big of a fan of Nia, or maybe you are a fan of Nia, but my, in, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, Nia has something to prove, and Asuka is perfect at the things that you just described, or as perfect as anyone can be in WWE right now. And so I was like, okay, Nia, they're going to have a good match because Nia is, uh, she needs to prove herself. Like, she's getting so much criticism from the fan base for for some of the things that she's done. And I thought they were actually having, on their way to having a pretty good match. And so how does this match end? I, I don't remember exactly. It was like a double count out or something. And and I, like like you just said, the, the having a convincing winner is so paramount right now. That's because, the only way you can get people over. Like, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's the way you can make somebody stand out. It's like putting them over clean. Because look, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're giving people a product that is not as good as it would be with fans, you have to give something else on the other side to make up for that. And when you do this crappy count-out finish, the fan who is like, okay, I, I'm sort of reluctantly you know, watching this because it's just kind of what I do, you cannot give them the same crappy finish that you would normally give them and expect them to be just totally fine with it. I, I felt like really let down because I wanted to see Naya, you know, kind of come back and prove herself a little bit and who better to do it than with Asuka. It's, it's, a, it's just one example of what you were saying, but it was the thing that immediately uh, came to mind. So, so far in the eight matches, you mentioned the three. I'm going to guess... Your favorite match, maybe maybe you weren't a fan of uh, the result, but your favorite match has probably been Suzuki and Nagata. Correct. Um, and then the other match that I'm guessing you really liked was Ishii and Desperado. And uh, Hanma and Hiromu. Yeah, that was going to be the third one that I was going to mention. Uh, the so, three that I was okay with were like, you know, the the, the Young Lions matches, Yumura, Kanemura, Maru, Gabriel Kidd, Taichi Ishimori, and Makabe against Yuna Tsuji. Like, I think, like, you know, those kind of, all those matches were there to, you know, give the young guys an opportunity on the stage and put over the star, essentially. And... You know, I thought th- th- they all did it. They all held up their part of part of the, the deal very well. And the two I wasn't so fond of was like <laughs> Yano and Jano, which I don't think anybody thought was going to be anything other than it was. Oh my god! And Okada Gato, which I was surprised that firstly they decided to go as long as they did, and I don't even think it was that long, but it was much longer than it probably needed to be. I thought that was going to be a two or three minutes and done type of thing. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 
and yeah, I was just disappointed. Like, I, 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 and even in that, I thought it would be, it thought it would be better than it was. Um, like, because they didn't really need, like, they had Suzuki and Nagata on that show. They could have just put Okada and Gato on her early. And I kind of get the logic why they didn't. I'm thinking probably, and this is probably why I think now Okada is going to go long in this tournament, is that, you know, they've had this long period of inactivity. And what you want to, like, lead with when you come back, you probably want your franchise player front front and center. And mm-hmm. that's probably why I think Okada is going to go long. So, do you remember uh, you, you you did not create a bracket for our uh, New Japan Cup challenge? So I don't have what your bracket turned out to be. But do you what what was your uh, final four in the tournament? Okay, my original uh, f- 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 final four was go- was going to be um, Hiromu, uh, Suzuki. Sonata and Goto. Yep, that's and that nice. and, and that was that and that was more my booking out the tournament how I would book it as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, how I thought it would go because I because yep. you know that relied on Nagata or not not beating Suzuki and <laughs> that that of course happened. And, you know, I love Yuji Nagata and I'm pretty much in every circumstance uh, rooting for him to get the upset except in this in this one match. Um you know that like my favorite match that I was at personally last year was Suzuki Okada um over in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I I was at Wrestle Kingdom as well, but like that was my favorite match I was at at live last year. Um, so I was looking forward to the rematch of that, and you know, Suzuki putting the decision decision right. But that's not going to happen. But like, you know, I think they have the potential for a really good story with Yuji Nagata. I think I think it might have been Paul Fontaine said it on our group. What what if you know Nagata went the whole way? What a story that would be. I don't even think he needs to go the whole way, but like. I think, you know, if he was to upset Okada in the next round, that would be so, so big. And New Japan's a type of promotion where, you know, you, it's not all or nothing. You know, you, so many times you see it in the G1 where, um, like, a guy has a terrible G1, loses nearly all his matches, and then he gets a good win at the end and he comes out of it with momentum. I feel like if Nagata could get a big win over Okada, he could have this huge resurgence story with him. Now, I don't, as I said, I don't expect him to do that, but I thought that, thought that would be a real, uh, you know, you know uh, interesting approach for them to take. And then, you know, if Nagata, like after two wins, goes in the next round, there's no harm in it. Now, I know that New Japan doesn't often do run-ins, but if you did want to do something around Suzuki sort of being upset that Nagata beat him and Okada's just like, dude, just get out of here. And there's a little bit of a, of a tiff between Suzuki and Okada. If they are saving that match for down the line, you could see a little bit of like a, a start to, to something there. Um, I think, yeah, I think the logic, the logic there that I like is probably that, you know, the match last time in London was so good, and if Suzuki came so close, I kind of felt coming out of it that if they do it again, Suzuki probably should win it. And you know, I think maybe they didn't want want Suzuki to beat Okada at this stage, and maybe that's that's the reason why 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 they've got got gone with Nagata at at this point. Yeah. 
So my final four, and I'm not in the challenge either because last year I was in it and then I won and that's not good for the group. We, we actually have a, a contest or, or more of like a bracket challenge going on where um, there will be prizes for the top three winners. So I've excused myself, though I've put my bracket in so people can kind of compete against me and compete against uh, Big Dave. Uh, my final four was Ishii, Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., and Goto with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Ishii being in the finals and Ishii winning the tournament. Uh, I, there's so many different ways that you can go with this thing. And you know, we, we don't even have the second half of, of uh, the, the bracket yet. Th- those matches will be had uh, tonight, tomorrow morning. So for you, it's, it's, it's Monday, uh, pretty early Monday, right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, like, and, and this is probably the biggest day so far. Like, you've got t- Tanahashi, Taichi, Ibushi, uh, Saber, uh, Taguchi, Sonata, and Show and Takagi. Uh, yeah, it's a great. It's a great. Like that's, like that's like as good as any New Japan card you'll see. Great side of the bracket. Um, but well, yeah, what you were saying about you know how your bracket played out. Uh, like initially, my my thought was Sonata is winning. Um, and I, I was going to have Sonata, like I had booked it as Sonata beating Suzuki in the final. I've kind of come off that idea now. Um, and part of the reason why I think that is, you know, when we were doing at the end of at, at, at the end of last year, who are like, you know, who would be our big breakout stars of next year? Sonata was the guy I picked. And I essentially said that, you know, I thought he'd be in next year, he'd be in one of the big big matches at the Tokyo Dome like you know either the top like you know the top match or the second from top match and I feel like him against Naito is much too big a match to when I think about it to give away now like I think down the line that's a much bigger match so I've kind of come off the idea of Sonata winning it and I'm going a different way and I don't know really how I'm going to get there and that's Hiromu Takahashi winning that, and, that is that is interesting the, because I've the, seen that bracket, and uh, it it is a very nice story. But the one the, and I, I thought about it too. There's two there's two roadblocks, and you might be thinking of the same ones. So actually, I was thinking that because he is still fairly early from his uh, comeback, that him having to have like. A final four match and a championship match, which are probably both going 30 minutes, might not be the best thing for his health at this point. That's why I pulled back. And there's another thing just historically, like he's a he's a smaller wrestler, but they did put, you know, they had to to put the the junior heavyweights here uh, in order to fill out this bracket the way that they wanted to so that you see a few of them in here. But that that was mostly my reason. Um, I would love to actually see that happen. And in, in some instances, I'm rooting for my bracket to be wrong if that does happen, because it'd be so exciting. Yeah, like I like the reasons why I, I, I'm struggling with it is, you know, I look at the bottom half of his side and I f- feel like it pretty much has to be Okada is going to come out of that side now. Like you've got Okada, Nagata, Kanemaru and Ishimori, like that feels like 100% cert Okada's going to the other. I just can't see them putting Hiromu over Okada at this point. 
how ridiculous would it be if he did though? <laughs> it, it, it would like you know that's that, that's that's my big hang up on the on this one but you know the reason why i thought it, w- it would work what is because you know they had already committed to the hirobu naito match that that was one that was already going to be done anyway and it'd be kind of a, a sort of a way of like you know having your cake and eating it you could say okay we we, we were meant to have this match and now we're now we're gonna have it and it would be a way of elevating Hiromu as well like i think you know it, it, like they seem to be playing in you know into that first into Hiromu's first match with Hanma they did, did seem to be playing in that you know it was taking a little bit more out of him than you know his usual junior matches so i think it's got it is going to be an uphill battle for him right the way through uh, like another kind of idea I, th- I i had thought of about this was just kind of and it's not a new japan pan kind of strategy at all it'd be more something you'd see in an american promotion it would be kind of like all of lij doing really well in this and there mm-hmm. happened to be a bunch of lij versus lij matches uh, just kind of to build on that I- inner tension that has already kind of been build building between with with um Romu and Naito uh, wrestling. Like if you look at the uh, the 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 the, uh, the right sided draw, um, we're I, like you know if you expect Shingo to beat Show, which I think most people do, and Sonata to beat the Coach, which I think most people do, you've got Shingo and Sonata, which is a really really good match. Mm-hmm. Firstly, but it's it's two Lij guys. Then if you look at the bottom half half of that side, um, you've got. Yo against Bushi, which I could very re- realistically see Bushi winning. Uh, Ko- Kojima against Evil, which I'd expect Evil to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, and yeah. So like, uh, if those two come through, uh, you'd expect Bushi to have the winner of Yoshihashi and Tenzan. Say Yoshihashi could see Bushi winning, beating uh, Yoshihashi. Uh, on the bottom side, you'd have Evil against Goto or Yujiro, which is going to be Goto. Evil, you know, you'd probably favor Goto as you know he's one of the most successful wrestlers in New Japan Cup history. But you know, Evil's the guy along with Sonata who I think they got over the hump with last year. And you know where you know he wasn't really hadn't really been winning the big matches, and they gave him a few big wins, and now he seems live at any match you put him in. If they decided to go in that quarter uh, quarter final with you know e- e- evil against uh, bushi with the winner fighting sonata and then the winner of, of that in the final uh against hiromu like you know there's, there's a lot there's a lot to play off in that you oh, know yeah. I, it's just not new japan's way to do that type of thing oh yeah absolutely and you know the um the thing that i think a lot of people forgot is that early in the year it looked like Tanahashi and Ibushi were going to stay in tags and probably stay that way until the summer maybe even until the G1 where then they would kind of go back into the singles thing and so when they put both of them in the same side of the bracket i think people thought oh wow dream match Tanahashi Kota i can't wait both guys are going to win but forgetting that they're a tag team right now so i think the way that this thing goes as far as who who does well in this bracket challenge is how well you sort of predict that uh, quadrant in the bracket like whether like um when when i when i did uh, melzer's bracket 
he had Taichi beating Tanahashi right away. And I thought, wow. But if you look at it, and if it you decide sense. that that Coda is actually going to beat Zack, it makes it definitely makes sense. But on the flip side, if you think Zack Saber Jr. is going to beat Coda, then you have Tanahashi winning that match, and and maybe the Taichi thing, which Dave went all the way with Taichi. I don't, I don't think he thinks that that's actually going to happen, but that was just the way his bracket broke out. But you know, the, so that the way that they handle that thing, um, you know, today is. Uh, it, you know, people will probably hear this uh, and uh, they'll already know the result. So unfortunately, we, we couldn't predict it by by the show going up uh, a few hours before the, the, the show starts. But however, however, that 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 plays out is, is I think, how some of the, the brackets who whoever gets those things sort of correct are, are going to be in good shape. Come to the challenge. Yeah. And I think like I think at Tana is really the. The outlier in this one, because. I'm kind of with Dave in that I I do see him losing to Tai Chi. Tai Chi's been getting bigger wins, bigger and bigger wins lately. For a long time, he was the guy in New Japan. People, I would think everybody kind of looked at him like, what's this guy's deal? Like, he's never really in good matches and he's always kind of pushed, but they never really get behind him. And, you know, he's somebody who started to really put it together and they're starting to give him those big wins. And, you know, it would be a big win for him to beat Tanahashi. And Tanahashi's the type of guy who I don't think it will hurt him at all to lose because I think, you know, he is got he has got the tag team thing uh, going on in the background anyway. And, you know, he's such a star that he'll just bounce back uh, with, with another big match anyway. I think... The reason why I doubt that is, though, he has been just such a positive influence through this whole situation mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. New Japan. Um, I kind of feel like he's the hero people need at the moment. And, <laughs> you know, he, 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 like, I wouldn't like to see him go out in the, in the first round. Well, uh, uh, you know, the Herald has seemed to be a, a strong leader during this time. But really, Tanahashi is kind of at the forefront. It would be like... Um, you know, in, in, in WWE, if Seth Rollins was was basically speaking like a human being instead of like a, a wrestling character, you know, oh, you, but WWE doesn't even, you know, the coronavirus doesn't exist in the WWE universe. And so I completely agree with you. Tanahashi, if you didn't already respect him for everything that he's done in the business, you also see that he seems to absolutely be a leader for that company when it comes to the wrestlers. Yeah, and I, I guess also um, there there is something at play there. If, you know, Taichi was to beat T- Tana and then, you know, Kota was to get through. Because I really don't see... Like, I know you, you said you thought maybe Sabre would beat him. I don't think this is the time after after disappointment at the Tokyo Dome. I don't mm-hmm. think it's the time for him to go out for first round. Um, you know, if you if then you had Taichi to go on uh, against Kodo, you you kind of establish a little bit of a tag team rivalry there as well for 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 for, for down, down the line. You know, for uh, with, 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 with with maybe Taichi and Sabre against. Uh, uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi for a big big show uh, with with the tag titles on up for grabs. Awesome! So, um, thanks for doing this, and and thanks for coming on to talk about the the Rocky podcast. I'm so excited to get that thing out so that people who are diehard fans of the, of the movies like us can. I, I what I hope is that you know 
it creates a little bit of conversation and that people reach out to us about certain things and things that they liked about the movie that maybe we missed or, or whatever. So uh, I'm excited for that. And also this tournament is, uh, it is giving me life because, uh, you know, covering pro wrestling during this time, you know, even in John and I do it from much more from sort of the fan perspective of, of watching these shows, but it has been so hard. I It, it almost feels like... Um, it, it doesn't, it's not as fun as I was hoping it would be because you're just reminded constantly of what you don't want to be reminded of, which is it's so different that there must be something that's causing it to be different. And you think about all the problems going on today. So it hasn't been the, um, you know, the, the, it hasn't been the, the thing that has been, you know, the entertainment that, that I've needed, you know, to kind of forget about things, uh, unfortunately, but, I think New Japan is closest to uh, what I was hoping that some of the other products were going to be. And of course, you know, we, what what would we expect other than what they're doing there? You know, they're the best, uh, they're the best group going. So uh, really, uh, really enjoying this. And, and I can't wait for the rest of the tournament to start. So just so people know, Monday morning is the next show. Then they're going to do Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning. Then they take a whole week off and then they come back Wednesday with the, I guess the second half of the second round of the bracket. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to do everything, but um, like I, I don't know if they're just going to have two matches on each show for the second round, or if they're going to still do. No, I, know, think four matches. I, think, I think they're doing all all, all, all four on okay. the on the seventh. Okay. Got it. Got it. So yeah, so so the tournament's going to go by pretty quick. So uh, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to take it all in so that I, I I don't take it for granted, and then we move on to to something else, and then you know then then whatever happens after this plan, uh, we'll see we'll we'll see what we'll keep an eye because they also have the the lions uh, the young lions TV show that they're doing that if you listen to the podcast that John and I did with uh, Jeff Cobb, he kind of. He hinted at it a little bit. He couldn't really talk about it. I mean, he was he was in jest, like kind of having fun with it. But it is going to be a, I think it's a weekly TV show on uh, on New Japan World where they're going to, whatever they taped in, in LA. And I don't know how, I don't know if they're having more tapings or, or whatever, but um, at least I saw from the press release, it looks like it's going to be somewhat of like a, a regular show on New Japan World. So, all right, doing thanks. Thanks again. And uh, I'm going to bring on John and we will talk about Sting, the build to Sting versus Ric Flair from uh, NWA 1990, leading to Sting winning the title from Flair. But very interesting story and fun story. And we're going to get to part one. All right, it's our first uh, We Want Flair segment for Ric Flair versus Sting. Great American Bash, 1990. Sting wins the NWA World Heavyweight Championship for the very first time. But in order to get there, we are going to go back a little bit. And um, we'll go back to 1988. Because I think when we were doing our We Want Flair with Flair Luger, Sting comes up uh, a few times in there. And... 88 is really when he kind of takes off and, and becomes a player thanks to the clash of the champions. Um, so we'll talk 88, we'll talk 89, and we'll go all the way through Starcade for this show. And then the next show, we'll go into 1990 
and the injury and him actually uh, facing Flair at Great American Bash and winning the belt. So that's kind of how, how we'll do it. So in this part one, um, we'll, we'll go to the Starcade show in 1989, the Iron Man tournament, Future Shock. Okay, John, so I, I did a little digging, and I went back through all the Crockett uh, results for early 1988, because I was just kind of wondering, like, what's Sting doing before the match with Flair? And I guess he has a match on NWA Pro uh, against Flair in early 1988. I don't know if you've seen that or if you remember it, but it looks like that's like maybe one of his first matches with Rick. What's what is his first match with Rick? No, it sounds like that's one of his first matches with Rick. Huh. 1988 NWA Pro, maybe in January. Because they did something on. Uh, was that dark? I'm trying to remember. Guys, this is now you really get me thinking here. <laughs> that's a good question. They set something up though. Like they shoot, like Flair starts talking about Sting because I think he's, you know, obviously they're setting up new opponents for him. But I wonder when it is and they decide at the clash it's going to be Sting. If he wasn't the first choice, I wonder too. Yeah, that's an, uh, I, I, I may, if, if I get to talk to, to Big Dave, maybe I will ask him. Um, so in, in 88, lots of six man tags for Sting, US tag team uh, title matches with Ronnie Garvin as his partner and after that nwa pro match against flair he does have house show title matches in january with flair and then periodically leading into the october was it october or is it late march the clash oh no march 24th right is that what it is is that whatever whatever the the clash date was heads up against wrestlemania 4 um and so they, he is working with Flair, um, like you said, on TV. Uh, he does, I, I know he does a couple of things um, on some of the TV. I don't, I'm not exactly sure which one, but there is some interaction and there is some of building Sting up for this match at Clash Champions. Oh, Obviously, a great segment where the horsemen are having a celebration and, you know, they're, they're, they're in suits and or tuxes and they had the wine and, and <laughs> Jerry G. Dillon's like nearly, you know, acting like he's shit faced and, um, you know, stings in the ring. He's been interviewed by, I think Tony Schiavone. He calls out, he calls out flair. He calls out the horseman. And then, and like to the horseman, like stings, like he's, he's, he's not a priority to them. He's below them, obviously. So Dylan goes down there to kind of shut him up. Let's <laughs> shut this pump. Hey, I'll be back. I'm going to just show this pump fuck it up and he goes out there with his champagne in his glass and he just tells you know sting to be you know you know learn your place and throws his wine as champagne and sting and sting just kicks the crap out of dylan and here comes flair and the horseman and it's a really good segment you should if you haven't seen it definitely check it out so sting and flair are in the main event of the very first clash of the champions and rick basically helps make sting in one night what do you do you remember um because i did not watch that show because i was obviously uh waiting for the wrestlemania 4 tape so i don't think i actually watched the sting flare match until much later but do you remember when you actually watched that match yes it actually came later to me because i was i was 
just still so early in my fandom of fresh wrestling. WWF was, you know, more dominant to me at the time. But when I started going back and reading the PWIs and, and they would always talk about that match. That was a big match they talk about. I couldn't wait to see it. And it wasn't until in the night, like late or not, not late, early nineties, they did like the up all nights where they, I finally saw it because this is before I started tape trading. Mm-hmm. And so they, they did like up and night. Yeah, it might have been like 94 or something like that. They did, uh, or maybe, no, it was, I, you know what? It was 93. I think this is, yeah. Cause Bill Watts did the up all night and they showed like, cause Flair was coming back. So they did like these, like an up all night late at night. They showed all these classic Flair matches. Right. And that was one of them. That's when I saw the full match. Because they did show highlights of it before, like, you know, talking about the history of Sting and Flair. But that was, like, the first time I saw the full from, you know, the full bell to bell. And I freaking love that match. It still holds up. To to me, it still holds up great. And it's uh, so much fun to watch. Yeah, I like like I said, I think it was definitely a few months later that I did see that show. Um, So... Guess Meltzer's uh, star rating. It's five, right? Four and three quarter. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, if, you know, going back to our We Want Flair project from April with Flair and Luger, uh, we mentioned that Sting, even after that match, he's not the one that is pushed as the top contender. It's still Luger. But on the house shows, he is a regular opponent of flares so you know you can imagine you know 1988 sting he he'd only been in the business for a few years and he's getting to wrestle rick every night like i'm sure his learning from you know that time frame to being on the on the road with flair in 88 like i'm sure his his uh growth just oh, yeah. became tremendous at that point and okay then, so we, and then working like working with arn and Tolly and barry right so yeah he's definitely getting a great education in the ring So 1989, he wins the TV title, has a long feud with the great Muda over the TV title. At the Great American Bash, Sting saves Flair from the Muda Funk double team. Mm -hmm. And then they feud with uh, Muda and Funk through Halloween Havoc in the cage match. Uh, What do they call it? The Terror Dome? The Thunderdome. Thunderdome. So Terror Dome is a public enemy. That's my bad. <laughs> Welcome to the Terror Dome. Um, okay, so then there's the uh, the clash with the infamous angle where Terry Funk puts the plastic bag yeah. over Rick's head and Sting comes in for the save. Does a 5.8 rating, 6.5 million viewers for that, uh, for that Clash of Champions. The interesting thing that I never knew is that Funk does the run-in and he was literally just in the hospital with staff yeah. infection and probably not even like fully recovered from it. Yeah, I remember I, I watched this live and I, and I didn't understand why he was in the hospital. <laughs> I don't think it really, I got to rewatch that. It's been a while. It's Clash 8 and it's such a great Clash champion. It's really good. I got to rewatch that and to see if they had a better, maybe I just missed it as a kid, but I could never understood what was wrong. I know he was hurt, but why he's in the hospital? Maybe they even mention staff. I don't know, but yeah, you know, as a kid, I didn't know the magnitude of that angle, mm-hmm. the plastic bag. I didn't know like it was. Such, I mean, I know you know that's a dangerous thing, but I didn't think it was like, oh my god, like I'd be. A, how can they do that, right? And but then they they definitely got some hot water for that. Well, yeah, the TNT makes changes. 
you know, no blood, no super violent stuff. And this is, so it's back to back angles. It's the, the plastic bag. And then it's, uh, the Rick Stein or Scott Steiner getting jumped by doom. And Jim Hurd goes on, uh, I think it was like a wrestling talk show or something. And he's like, and he just like throws that violent stuff under the bus. And it's like, Oh, we're going to be family entertainment yet. It was effective, you know, in in what they were doing. Like they really, it it was effective in the way of getting the people to really believe, you know, something crazy was happening, and the baby faces needed to get get their revenge. So, you know, from from one end, yeah, it was probably not great. Like I'm I'm like uh, nah, I'm 13. I'm probably fine to watch that stuff. But you know, anybody younger than me, I'm sure that was probably a little a little too intense i don't think people remember like dick slater being funk's replacement for a while during all that time he's in that he's in that clash tag match too yeah flair does um flair does some single stuff with him but only for a short time mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, know, I think they had a match on tv i know sting and dick slater had a match on tv but yeah you know dick slater was there to bring in because funk was pretty freaking beat up during that at run with flair so yeah and during his time he gets injured i guess with staff which they didn't really explain and and here he is. And I remember like, why is Dick Slater? I was like, why is he here? For this? Where's Terry Funk? I was mm-hmm. totally, I was really into Flair, Funk, Sting, Muda feud. It was just, it, 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 it just captured me. All right. So the aforementioned Halloween Havoc match, the Thunderdome cage match is Sting and Flair. Uh, so Flair uh, definitely, uh, and it's Flair and Sting as the babyface tag team against Muda and Funk. And Bruno San Martino, of all people, is the referee for this match. Mm-hmm. Ole Anderson and Gary Hart were the terminators on each team because the only way you could lose this match is if your terminator threw the white flag and Ole was just so adamant that he's not ever throwing this thing. You might, you might as well not have it. He's just not throwing it. And Gary Hart gets bumped uh, and the, the flag flies out. Bruno sees it and that's how the match ends. What is kind of crazy and i don't know if this ever happened i don't imagine it happened but funk flair and bruno all in the same ring yeah. for the same match yeah yeah, yeah. i don't understand why they call them terminators <laughs> may just sounded cooler than surrenderer or something you know i don't know yeah, yeah. Silly. so then there's the famous and i want you to talk about this match the famous clash match yeah. new york knockout Flair, funk, I quit, had to end in a handshake no matter what. Loser had to shake the winner's hand. And this is, uh, I think this is probably match of the year. Um, This show I remember very clearly. I I think um, I remember uh, my buddy, my buddy Edson, he would always call me for the clashes, you know, cause I, cause I was so used to like a certain time to watch WWE. It's like, Oh, you know, Monday night and then Saturday morning. And that's all I had to remember. But he's like, Oh no, you know, I, I don't remember if it was like on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever. And he's like, Oh, don't forget to watch clash. And I turned it on and you know, I was, I think it was like to the main event that I, so I, like I caught it at, at the perfect time. Yeah. I remember this night, like, like it was yesterday. I remember, you know, watching my sister's the one that had the TV in her room. That's where I watched a lot of my wrestling. She'd get pissed off at me. Um, I remember dinner was right at the Steve Williams <laughs> Super Destroyer tag match, uh, not to a singles match, because I remember like 
I don't want to eat dinner right now. I want to watch this show. And I remember I had to go back and rewatch it on tape because I was taping it in a room. Should have VCR there. Um, and I just witnessed one of the greatest matches, probably my favorite match, my favorite match of all time of, you know, these two guys, Flair and Funk, just beating the hell out of each other. I, I felt they hated each other. You know, I felt this was real, as real could get, as possibly wrestling could ever be. And, you know, it was intense. It was physical. Um, my favorite thing in the match is when Flair takes Funk and throws him onto the table and he slides all the way out the table and he hits his head on a chair that was right next to the table. Um, the brutal chops, the, 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 the way the finish came off with the, the, you know, the saying, I funk saying I quit. And even the best part, it was even better part to me, which I love so much is Jim Ross's call of the post-match attack by the JTEX of great Muda and dragon master, not only beating up flair, but also funk. And then now comes sting to say the day he locks a, the Dragon Master and the Scorpion Deathlock. People are going ape shit. And here comes my man, the total package Lex Luger. He grabs a chair, but a fan's trying to grab a chair from him. Security grabs a fan. Luger roots the chair in that fan's hands, gets in the ring, just hits Sting in the back. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to wrestle now. I was freaking out. And then it's just chaos. And then the heels leave together with Luger with Gary Hart. I'm like, is Luger with Gary Hart now? And then early that night, you know, Bill Apter was there, Pressing Illustrated, and they gave out the rest of the year trophy. And uh, I think uh, the St- uh, Steiners won something, right? I believe that. And I think one most popular or something. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, Luger just destroys the, I mean, he just destroys the, the trophies. And, it's just like, oh my god, and then Ross is disgusted. Un, you know, unlike he does not AEW now, like he's like truly disgusted. He's like, oh my god, how can he do? It? Come on, man, this is horrible. And I love the call of this whole ending segment. I I took my my tape recorder and got to my speaker, my TV, and taped it. That's how much I loved it. I used to listen to it all the time because it's one of my favorite Ross calls and Jim Ross calls. So yeah, this 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 definitely has a Clash Nine is this real big special place in my heart. So um, around this time, because and I think it's partially because NWA had such a good wrestling year. You know, they had the the matches uh, with with Steamboat and Flair early in the year and then funk comes in and flair has more great matches with him luger and brian pillman are having good matches sting and muda so there's this real thing like okay like when are these guys going to turn the corner like they're having all these good matches but the houses are still down tv ratings are okay um and sometimes good pay-per-view buy rates are okay not fantastic but the action is still is so good when are they going to turn the corner and what is it going to take for them to turn the corner? Um, and some of that falls on flair, right? When you're the champ, the fact that um, maybe you're seen as secondary to, to the WWF, some of that, not all of it, falls on his lap. He's also the booker at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets demoted and is just like, the, the, it becomes like a booking team and he's kind of the lead of the booking team. But so he's doing so much in 1989 in addition to having these great matches. And, uh, you know, the talk of the town is, okay, like, what what can they do? Is it Lex? Do they Does Lex need to have the title? Is that what's going to help them turn the corner? Is it going to be Sting? And Dave writes this long article about how, you know, 
Rick is even even if Rick is not doing gangbusters business, even if he is not the draw that he once was, he is still better as champion than both Sting and Luger because it's not only about what you do inside the ring, it's also about how the public perceives you, how big time you feel, the stuff that he has to do as champion. And so, you know, Dave's basically saying, like, I know there's a lot of pressure and people want the belt on other guys, but, you know, look, it's on the best guy and it should be on the best guy until that changes. If Lex can prove that he is the best guy, then he should get the title. Same with Sting. So that's kind of the talk right around this time before Starcade. And so Starcade is the Ironman tournament. And I know this is a this is a tournament or this is an idea that you really liked. It is a four-man tournament for the singles, and it is a four-tag team tournament round robin. So every team faces every team. That when I watched this back on pay-per-view, I had some issues with like the order of some of these matches it was kind of unfair. Uh, they pull the skyscrapers out, though. I didn't know this. Uh, Sid Vicious was hurt like yeah. three weeks or four weeks before they actually changed the team. Mm-hmm. So all the advertising was on the skyscrapers being in and they changed it to the Simone SWAT team at the very last minute with uh, Oliver Humperstar, Oliver Humperdink. And um, yeah, so on the tag side, the Road Warriors win the tournament, even though they lose to the Steiners in a match where uh, both, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Hawk and Scott are, 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 are both have their shoulders down and Scott yeah. pulls his shoulder up at the last minute. Yeah. And then Sting has to beat Ric Flair to win this tournament. Uh, and he beats him in a match that they tried to say was like the time limit. It was, it was, it was actually closer to like 15 minutes than the 20 minutes, but they played it like it was close to the end. And so Sting comes out of the 80s as the winner of this tournament and um, and the Road Warriors uh, with, with the tags. So the tournament in of itself, what did you think of the booking? And would you have put Sting over or would you have put Lex over? Oh, no, Sting. Because, you know, that's where they were going. I mean, I, I would have put Sting. I think St- it's, they had the right trajectory. They had Sting be the one that beat Flair. And then as the, the, this new babyface champion, you had Lex Luger, this super hot heel at the time, ready for him, right? So, you know, that's what problem was. We'll talk about that coming up. You know, like, you know, the follow-up is just as important as the buildup to a, a, a person's big win. So that's what I think they were on the right track with pick and sting. I would have definitely picked him as well. So the wrestle war main event before Starcade was going to be Rick and Lex after Starcade. I think they changed it to sting and that's where everything was leading up until sting. It's hurt. And we'll, we'll talk about this uh, next week. But I just found that really interesting because I always assumed that with Sting winning this tournament and with them like thinking of this, that it was always going to be Sting and, mm-hmm. and Rick. But it sounds like it was going to be Rick and Lex up until maybe the booking of this tournament. Yeah, that's, that doesn't sound right either. I don't know if that was reported wrong. I don't know. I don't want to say Dave reported stuff wrong. But I, 
I don't know. It just it didn't seem like that, right? It didn't seem if I would have if then Luger should have won the Iron Man tournament. Yeah, that's why that's why I asked you the question. Yeah, so no, no, I don't know. I think that might have been maybe that was his information sent out there just they didn't want to know the finish of the tournament. I don't know. But uh, Okay, so what did you think about the end of this match where Sting beats Flair? They're both baby faces at this point. Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson. Baby faces too, but you never really, I never really, I was always, I've always waiting for Oli to do something mean. I never bought him as like a baby face of, of this team, but Arn raises Sting's hand and then he showed the four fingers. Yeah, that was awesome. And so, you know, this signifies that Sting is now a member of the four horsemen as this show goes off air. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 reacted huge i popped huge for it because i remember like because you know the history of the four horsemen right and you know like oh damn they're gonna do it here you know and and they did a great date they did a great tease and like you said and i never really trusted ole either and you and, and so that made it even better to say because you know like you know ole is a jerk and he's like he's a the cutthroat so you're waiting for something to happen and all of a sudden aren't you know they decide to they decide to you know having the horseman and you know Ole Anderson does the greatest one of the greatest promos of all time in the Clash 10 which we'll talk about um, next week mm-hmm. and he talks about that night and what happened and how they were going to do it there it was they were going to take him out you were going to take you out there but Rick said no 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 not you know, you know it was just like ugh, it's one of my favorite promos of all time and um, he signed his death warrant man he signed his death warrant when you accepted that contract to uh <laughs> Wrestle War 90. Yeah, God, that promo. God, I can't wait to rewatch that, man. Gosh. I remember that. I remember, just like Clash 9, I remember that day I watched it, Clash 10. It was, oh, yeah. rain, it was raining, right? My dad was watching it with me. And I'm like, Dad, you know, it's good wrestling, blah, blah, you know, Sting, Luger, you know, all the other guys are going to be there, right? You know, Luger didn't wrestle. But, you know, I was like, this is NWA, Dad, you know, Flair. And he's like, all right, all right. And out comes the horseman. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, these are, these are so cool, you know, these guys are cool. He's like, and he's like, and he's like, I don't know. Like, during, as the promo's going on, I'm like, I'm so into it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not reading the signs yet, right? Then mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on? My dad's like, well, I think they're gonna beat that one guy up with <laughs> face paint, you know? Like I just remember him saying, that. and then sure enough, they suck. Oh God, I just remember being like, what the heck? Because a lot of people, I don't think they remember this. It was such a short time, but. If you watch the TV at that time, watch the Sting team with Flair and Arn against Buzz Sawyer and Dragon Master and Muda. And those f- matches on TV, the crowd are just going insane. And I don't know if it ever translated. I don't think it translated to, unfortunately, attendance and at the house shows. But like at least on the television side, I mean, from what all I saw was the television side, that got it just felt like it was like the this intense hottest feud ever right okay okay let's say let's say that at this point in his career that rick flair maybe made a better baby face because that fan base respected him so much right he is a baby face here and the crowd goes wild for him what if they kept him Mm -hmm. as a baby face and instead only and Arn turn on him, Ooh, and totally. Lex is the leader of the Four Horsemen. How does that change things? It would be, it'd be a, 
a big twist, but at the same time, I personally wouldn't like that because I thought Luger was such a great heel on his own. Like, and he even talked about his promos. Like, I'm on a plane flying higher than everyone else in this business, right? I am on another level. He always talked about that. He had no allies. It was just him being this dominant U.S. champion, and he's going to get his world title opportunity again. But he would have an out, and the out would be that he faced Rick in 88 Mm -hmm. a couple of times and couldn't get over the hump uh, for whatever reason and, you know, maybe even partially because of the horseman or whatever. But then this is now, you know, this is his his way uh, of finally getting getting over the top, using Rick's own guys against him. Like, I, I think that would be pretty interesting. I don't know if it would have been better, but, I mean, it's all, it's all hindsight anyways. But Ric Flair is a babyface, I thought, from that time period, um, whatever it would be, uh, you know, I, I don't exactly know when when May eighty nine that he turned. If it's May eighty nine, yeah, the the funk um the funk uh, angle at Wrestle eighty nine. So May so, so that six months, I felt like he was really really hot. Yeah, yeah, and then I think and also with Sting in the Horseman, just it like it got a little hotter. It got hotter, right? It, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I, I wonder, like, man, maybe you should have kind of stretched that out a little more, you know? But yeah, yeah. But, you know, Flair, too, is always, I mean, this isn't talked about to death, is like he's preferred to work as a heel and be oh, yeah. a heel. Oh, yeah. So. He didn't like it. He didn't like bringing babyface. Yeah. What do you mean he didn't like actually hitting moves off the top rope? Come on, Flair. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, so that that's it here. Um, and uh, we will be back on our normal Thursday uh, evening, Friday morning. Uh, thanks to Doing. Thanks to John. I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.